All right. Welcome to the first ever Sunday morning edition of Journalistic Integrity. Had a couple thoughts about the NFL Thanksgiving games and a couple college football thoughts that I could not wait to get off my chest. So I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. But now it's time to get down to the brass tacks, talk some football. Lions host the Bears. Bears win on a game-winning field goal as time expired to win by two points. This came down to the last drive and not the most entertaining game the first three and a half quarters, but the final drive, the final minutes were really entertaining. So the Bears end the game on an 18-play, 69-yard, eight-and-a-half-minute drive. The Bears did not touch or the uh, the Lions did not touch the football after the Bears got the ball with eight and a half minutes left. Uh, one of the worst ways to lose is it's just a slow bleed out death when you do not get the ball back and the team just has this mammoth of a possession at the end of a game. However, the Lions had a chance to win this game. So it's 154 left. Clock is stopped. The Lions just used their first timeout. Third and nine on Detroit's 17-yard line. And so the Lions are up one. So if you hold them here, call a timeout. If it's completed in front of the first down line and you've got one timeout with, you know, 145 left and you just have to get a field goal. However, that's not how it worked out. So after the first timeout, Detroit's lining up on the third nine and Dan Campbell sees that they're not lined up right. He's like, oh gosh, I've got to call another timeout. And so he calls a second timeout. And when you call consecutive timeouts, it's not supposed to be awarded by the ref. But if the ref does award the second timeout, the timeout's used, but it's also a five-yard penalty. And so it moves to third and four. So he uses two consecutive timeouts. They weren't lined up properly after the first timeout. So they have to burn the second timeout. And you hear people on TV all the time saying, this guy is a coordinator. He's not a head coach. We saw it play out perfectly with Dan Campbell at around 3.30 on Thanksgiving. And a lot of these head coaches, they're more managers than like football, X's and O's type people once they get to that position. And you really don't want your mistakes to be these viral, obvious to see. Like if it's something with the scheme or personnel, that's easier to hide. But when an owner, when fans, people on Twitter, when everyone can realize your mistake, it's a really bad look. And Dan Campbell looked like a completely defeated man when he called that second timeout. And it's almost like a piece of him died when he called that second timeout. Like he looked so sad. He looked about as close as a man can look to crying without the actual physical representation of a tear coming out of his eye. And if that second timeout wasn't enough, after they call the timeout, because they are lined up improperly, they line up on the third and four with their D-backs 10 yards off the line, and at the snap, their first steps are backpedals. And so Dalton sees that, the receiver sees that, he runs seven yards and then just turns around for the first down. It's okay if they score a touchdown. It's okay if you play press, get beat for a touchdown, because then you still have a minute and a half and a timeout to go back down and score 
which, by the way, Goff had, was having his best game of his career. He was 21 for 25, 171, two touchdowns, zero picks. It's not inconceivable that he could have led a game-winning drive at the end of that game, but instead, after calling two timeouts, after calling an illegal timeout, because they are lined up improperly, they line up even worse and give them the last, the worst possible outcome, which was a first down, tackled inbounds, then the Bears go kneel, 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 kick a field goal with two seconds left. Bears don't touch the ball for the last eight and a half minutes. A brutal way for the Lions to go down, and it's just a really bad look for Dan Campbell in front of, I don't know, 30 million people, 25, 30 million people for that first game. That's a tough one. That's a tough one to come back from. I don't think any great coaching tenure starts with not just an 0-10-1 season, but a couple of these endings have been some of the worst. Some of them aren't their fault. You know, the Justin Tucker 66-yard field goal off the the uh, pole and then in. But this one was completely self-induced and Campbell let them down. And they could easily hire somebody for like $1,000 a game. Like, hey, come to a couple meetings during the game and then come to our games for three and a half hours. We'll pay you $1,000 a week. All right, let's shift to some college football. And the biggest game going into Saturday was Ohio State going into Ann Arbor, playing Michigan in what was basically a playing game for the playoff. The winner just has to get by a much weaker Wisconsin team. And going into this, it was all Ohio State. They're the seven-point favorite. They were dominant. They crushed Michigan State when the week prior, Michigan lost to Michigan State. And from the very start of this game, you could see Michigan had a game plan. They're going to play to their strength, which is the offensive line and running the football. And Hassan Haskins, the Michigan running back, was awesome. And so they drive, first drive, run right over Ohio State. But you know that's not going to be enough because Ohio State's offense, C.J. Stroud, three NFL receivers, it wasn't going to be enough just to have a couple of those big drives and rely on the defense. So then Michigan gets a punt, and they're driving back on Ohio State, looking to go up 14-0, you know, 10 minutes into the first quarter. And then McNamara throws a terrible interception, doesn't see the safety coming across the field, and you're like, oh, Okay, this is how it's going to be. Michigan teases us a little bit, gets up 7-0, then Ohio State gets the pick, and this is where it starts to roll for the Buckeyes. But Michigan's defense, especially their red zone defense, they held Ohio State to two field goals in the red zone, which is really, really important because they're able to keep the lead. And, you know, psychologically, once you lose the lead, you just kind of fall into passing game and the clock starts to be in the back of your mind. But when you've got the lead, you're more inclined to stick to the running game. And that's what Michigan did the whole game. They run the ball 41 times, 297 yards. So that's seven yards per carry right down Ohio State's throat. Meanwhile, and what's going to get less talked about was Michigan's run defense. 30 carries, 64 yards for Ohio State on the ground. And Trevion Henderson is big five-star running back. Meanwhile, Haskins, Hassan Haskins, I was looking at some of their rankings coming out of high school. Haskins, who had the four or five touchdowns running it all over Ohio State, he was the 975th 
best prospect coming out of high school, 49th best running back. So not highly recruited at all. Three-star recruit, but he looked amazing. And the Michigan team in general, just watching him play, it looked like they had more guys. Like really, they looked more athletic. They looked faster. And in years past, you can see, you know, Michigan still has four-star top-end guys, but there's always a gap between Michigan and Ohio State. This year, it looked a little different, and they didn't play last year, but they have guys like Hutchinson on the D-line. Their safety is the number two safety going into the NFL draft. They've got Ajabo, the uh, linebacker, who's got a ton of sacks this year, really athletic. And the defense was just phenomenal because it's not like Ohio State made a ton of mistakes, a ton of you know turnovers, penalties. It really was a pretty clean game on both sides. Michigan, just from the start, and props to Harbaugh because all of these years he loses to Ohio State. You want to start changing things up. I mean, we look at the past two times they played. They were out of the game by the third quarter. I mean, 56-27, 62-39 were the last two scores. They were getting blown out of the building. And for Michigan and Harbaugh to stay true to we're going to run the football, we're going throwback football, we're not going to spread, that's not our strength. We don't have a top five, top 10 quarterback. So we got to play to our offensive line and running the football, maintaining possession and keeping that other offense off the field. And they did it to perfection. It was a perfect, perfectly played football game by Michigan. It's rare you see a college football team play a perfect, mistake-free, outside of that one pick, mistake-free game. But Michigan did that. And now they are one game away against Wisconsin next week in the Big Ten Championship to have their first playoff appearance. And now Harbaugh, he's got the monkey off his back. He's going to get a big contract coming up. It was awesome. You could tell watching him during the interview on the sidelines, so relieved to finally get that win. And what an environment at Michigan. It was snowing a little bit and the fans are going crazy. Awesome. This is what this is what college football is all about. This is why we get up and watch college football. Great game, and excited to see, um, assuming Michigan wins, excited to see how this team, a team that's going to run the ball and play defense, how they match up with a team like Georgia. If we get that 1-4 matchup, can Michigan's O-line push around Georgia's defense? Can they keep them on the field for 35, 40 minutes out of a 60-minute game and, and wear them down, find some sort of chink in the armor for that Georgia defense? So, it's awesome to have a new team in the college football playoffs. Props to Michigan and John Harbaugh. What a game. Okay, quick correction before I get to the Bama game. Michigan will actually be playing Iowa in the Big Ten Championship because Wisconsin lost. I was recording that part before the Wisconsin game, so quick correction on that. But let's get to the Iron Bowl, and Alabama is hold scoreless for the first three and a half quarters of the game. It was only the fourth time in Nick Saban's tenure with Alabama, which has been, what, 15 years? Only the fourth time they had been held scoreless in the first half, and it was a game of miscues, bad snaps, Bryce Young looking a little shaky, the offensive line a little shaky. Jamison Williams, the star Alabama receiver, gets a targeting penalty on the punt team. So he's one of the gunners tackling the punt returner for Auburn leads with the crown of his helmet gets ejected in the second quarter the offense was shaky after that uh you know young having to get used to a new receiver stepping up in that spot but he was able to 
connect with Mechie towards the end of the fourth quarter and into overtime. But let's go back to uh, regulation. And so it's 10-0 in the fourth. Alabama gets stuck on a fourth and one. Um, or actually, that was after 10-3. So it's 10-3. Um, Alabama could have kicked a field goal in the third quarter. The uh, the holder pulled a Tony Romo. He drops the snap and and gets tackled. So it's 10-0 forever. And then Alabama finally gets on the board, making it 10-3 with 8:44 left. They don't score until 8:44 left in the fourth quarter. And then we get to the fourth and one, where Alabama. There's only let's see. I think there is two minutes left. So two minutes left, fourth and one. Alabama has two timeouts at midfield. They run it up the middle. They get stuffed. So Auburn ball, midfield, up seven. And a big part of the game was Robinson, the main running back for Alabama, their star running back, got hurt. And so they bring in the second string guy who was not even close to as good as Robinson. And he didn't look like remotely a good running back at all. And so I looked up uh, his high school ranking coming out and he's the sixth overall prospect and number one running back coming out so he's really talented but he did not look elusive at all he was missing holes couldn't make anybody miss an open field and that really hurt them in those fourth and short third and short plays so Auburn gets the ball back at midfield 150 left two timeouts for Alabama if you're an Auburn fan you're feeling great Worst case scenario, you run it three times, you kick it back to Bama, pin them inside the 10, and they've got 40 seconds left, right? Because Bama can only stop the clock twice. So first down play is a run for no gain. Then the second play, they hand it off to Bigsby, who breaks it off wide. And it's looking like he's going to get close to the first down marker, and he does. He gets about a yard in front of the first down marker, but all his momentum's going out of bounds, and... The Alabama defender, he wasn't, the uh, announcers didn't give him much credit. It was mainly, you know, a bad play by Bigsby. But the Alabama defender, instead of like tackling him, he gets on the other side of him from behind him and grabs his hips and like pulls him back towards the sideline with him to make sure he gets out of bounds. So if Bigsby gets the first down, it's game over. He's a yard short. Or if he stays in bounds, then Alabama is really in a pickle. But instead, he just misses the first down, gets out of bounds. Then on the third and short, Alabama stuffs it in the backfield, and Auburn has to punt, and they knock Bama inside the three-yard line. Then Bryce Young leads a 12-play, 97-yard drive, which took a minute and 11 seconds. They had a big fourth and seven with 40 seconds left. Um, and then on third and 10, 24 seconds left, throws a touchdown, 28-yard touchdown. Incredible catch by uh, the BAM receiver who came in for Jamison Williams. So it goes into overtime, 10-all, and you're kind of expecting Auburn to roll over in overtime. Their quarterback, TJ Finley, is a little banged up. Alabama's got all the momentum. They just had an incredible 97-yard drive, but that's not how it went. First overtime, they trade touchdowns on the first overtime, field goals on the second overtime, and then the new rules in college football. Once you get to the third overtime, it is all two-point conversions. Um, it's actually kind of funny in between third and fourth overtimes or in between each overtime after the two-point conversions, you have to change sides of the field. So they run these one play for each team, and then they walk 97 yards to the other side. Uh, it seems like a lot of walking just for two plays. But anyway... They both convert on the first two-point conversions. And then Alabama, on the first possession of the fourth overtime, stops Auburn. It was a bad throw, 
by TJ Finley. He had a guy kind of open on a crossing route. Finley had been off for, I mean, he wasn't great the whole game, but especially in the fourth quarter, every single one of his passes was interceptable. Uh, He was really struggling. And outside of screen passes, you're kind of holding your breath whenever he threw the ball. Tough throw, misses a guy. And then Alabama, Mechie runs this sick, like inside out jab whip route and Bryce Young hits him on the money for a touchdown and so what does this mean Alabama squeaks out a win in the Iron Bowl and it kind of I mean Alabama just isn't dominant this year their offensive line was getting pushed around the running I think they only had like 60 or 70 yards there were no holes for the running backs a little bit pressure on Bryce Young the defense was fine defense was uh, pretty good holding Auburn to 10 points but offensively I have no idea how this Alabama offensive line is going to go up against Georgia's defensive line. It's like one of those matchups where it's the weakness of one team, Alabama and their O-line, versus the strength of Georgia and their defensive line. And I really think this could get ugly because if you're getting thrashed at the offensive line, you can hardly get into those deep double moves to Jamison Williams and Mechie, um, which are plays Alabama really needs because their offense is not that explosive this year. They need time for Young in the pocket and I can just almost see it now Georgia running straight through that offensive line and Alabama not being able to have anything to do offensively so we'll see it still is Alabama it still is Nick Saban I'm sure he's gonna have a good game plan for Georgia and at least we've got an SEC championship game that means something right so if Bama loses a two loss if Bama loses that Iron Bowl two loss Alabama is not getting in especially if that second loss came against Auburn and not against the number one team in Georgia. I think the win probability for Auburn hit like 99.6%. And I know that's kind of a stupid stat, but it does go to show how close Auburn was. They're one yard away. If Bigsby either gets that first down or stays in bounds, Auburn wins that game. Really tough one for Auburn. Such, Such a crazy, weird season for them. Beating, I think they beat Ole Miss. Then they have some bad losses. They lose to South Carolina last week. And then they go nose-to-nose with Alabama, but are not able to hang on to it. Alabama, the big bad villain, comes back and wins one of the best college football games this year. Okay, that wraps up today's Sunday morning podcast. Enjoy the football today, and I'll be back on Tuesday. See ya.